Well, tonight we are in Proverbs chapter 15, and we will be in verses 12 through 17. But first, turn to the Old Testament prophet of Micah. Happiness is sitting next to someone who knows how to find Micah. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Okay. You know, the prophet Micah was God's spokesman in a difficult time in Israel's history. Difficult because of their rebellion against God and sin. It was very much like a time in which we live, and God gave him the message that is he wrote in this, in this book. A message to Israel, God's people. And that message is needed today. And uh, throughout the book, he deals with the question, what does God want? And in chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8, he sums up that answer. It's a well-known passage. I'm sure you've read it and heard it and considered it before. But let's look at it tonight. Micah chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Now, you know, things in there are are certainly good, sacrifices and so on. God commanded, God gave to the Jewish people to do, but not with a heart that's not right with him. And so he gets down to the bottom line of what does God require in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And all of a sudden, a couple of days ago, I was thinking of those verses, and I thought, you know, Proverbs tells us how to do those things. Uh, How to do justice, how to love kindness, how to walk humbly with God. It's kind of a textbook on, on pleasing God in, in so many areas of our lives. Then turn over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. Last uh, Sunday morning in the adult Sunday school class, at the end of the uh, study, which was on the Reformation, Dorian uh, took us to several passages, and one of them was this one, and when it was read, it just struck me also as being so applicable to the book of Proverbs. Second Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, that's talking about whether we uh, go to be with the Lord or we're down here on this earth. That's in the context of what he's talking about. We would, uh, uh, so whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What a tremendous, tremendous goal and aim to have to please him. How do we please him? Do justice, have kindness, walk humbly with our God, and all these things that are in the book of Proverbs. I I just keep marveling at uh, what an amazing book it is 
that God has given us, the book of Proverbs. We're going to continue our study in it, and uh, let's stand in honor of God's word, if you're able, and follow along as I read Proverbs 15, verses 12 through 17. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. But the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, as we have been doing in this section of Proverbs, we have uh, looked at each proverb, each individual proverb, uh, occasionally two together, which which we'll have two of those tonight. Um, but um, each one of them is, is very different. Uh, it's not a, a continuous thread like talking about some doctrinal subject. It's just boom, boom. It's kind of, we've had the analogy of a buffet restaurant. And you, you have this and this and this and this. All these different varieties of, of things. And so we've also seen, just to help us get them in our mind, we have a title for each one. And I've adapted the titles from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs. So let's look at the first one, which is titled Submit to the Rebuke of Wise, and you could say Godly, Brothers and Sisters. And that's in verse 12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. Now, the scoffer has been mentioned several times in the book of Proverbs. And the scoffer is the lowest level of fools presented in Proverbs. Fools are mentioned a lot in contrast to the wise. And the lowest level of fools in the book of Proverbs are scoffers. Well, what is it about them? Well, uh, the scoffer is hardened, he is set in his folly, and he rejects authority. And uh, he will, he's centered on loving himself, not on loving God, and certainly not loving God's truth and his righteousness. So this guy's got a real problem. And he says the scoffer, one of the traits of the scoffer, is he does not like to be reproved. In fact, uh, uh, he hates it. And uh, he hates being told he's wrong. And uh, he is, doesn't want to listen to anyone reproving him. We have um, probably all been that way at some point or another. And uh, we deal with people that are like that all the time. Now, to be reproved, that, that's an important subject also in the book of Proverbs. Um, and by the way, I think this leads us to realize that an accurate measure of spiritual maturity is one's willingness to accept criticism and rebuke. Think about it. The world, the worst athletes in the world, the worst artists, the worst students, um, 
you could name all kinds of different uh, types of jobs and people and so on. But the worst of the bunch are, are those who are resistant to criticism. Anyone who is uh, in athletics is wanting to excel and wanting to do whatever is necessary, but yet sometimes they become very resistant when the coach tries to tell them, you know, you're not doing this right. You can change this. And there's something in the human nature of the scoffer that just resists that. So there is a lesson in this for believers. Now, the scoffer here, as described here, is specifically speaking of a non-believer, but there, there is a lesson for believers in that when you see uh, in the epistles, especially from the Apostle Paul, that uh, he says we are to live the Christian life like an athlete. He uses athletics often in his letters. And, and, and with his, the idea like, a, like an athlete is living his life in training, and so we are to live our life in training. We are to, to be training ourselves for godliness, he told Timothy. And then for discipline. And part of that is listening to reproof. And so as a believer, we don't want to be like the scoffer. But we want to be a wise person that will pay attention uh, to reproof. He continues and amplifies this. He says, he will not go to the wise. He won't seek another person for wisdom and advice. And I have to say, men are, are prime examples of that. Men, as a general rule, don't like to stop somewhere and ask for directions, right? Now, in these, this day and age, we don't have that as much because we have GPS. But before GPS, when, when you're driving around somewhere, how many wives have told their husband, you know, maybe you should just pull over and ask for directions. No, 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 I can do it myself. Or it's normally not men that seek marriage counseling. It's normally women. The man doesn't want to be reproved. He doesn't want to listen to that. It's part of the pride issue. He won't listen and learn from wise people. A good example in the Old Testament is Pharaoh. Uh, he wouldn't listen to Moses. Uh, after all, Moses performed miracle after miracle before him. And and in some of those miracles, the, the magicians of Pharaoh were, was, a, was able to, they were able to uh, imitate uh, those things. But there came a time where they couldn't. And uh, they, they came to Pharaoh. And uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, but the, the physician, the magicians uh, came to him and, and said, Pharaoh, how long shall these people be a snare to us? How long shall Moses be a snare to us? Let his people go that they may serve the Lord. Do Then, then you read in, in Exodus an interesting phrase. He said, don't you realize Egypt is being ruined? Listen to the man. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he wouldn't. He was in the category of this scoffer. So all believers who are in the category of wise, and not in the category of fools, but as a believer, uh, we need to seek the fake faithful rebuke 
of our godly brothers and sisters. Why? So that we will continue to walk in obedience to God. God has provided faithful brothers and sisters who, who can see things that we don't see as we're getting a little off course and they can, they can help to, uh, to write our, our thinking and our course being used of the Lord in that as well as the Word of God does that. As we submit ourselves to the word of God, the word of God. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's, and it's for one of the purposes is for reproof along with doctrine and, and, and so on. So every believer should be accountable to at least one other Christian so that sin may not be allowed the slightest foothold in our life. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another and he even says every day. That exhorting would include reproof when something is seen that needs reproving. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you, look at this, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin slips in and it deceives us into thinking, oh, this is the way to go. This is the way of pleasure. And all of these things. But it's deceitful. And it winds up hardening us. And so one of the provisions that God has made. Has been. That there would be faithful brothers and sisters. Who we would listen to. Who God would use. As they can tell us. You know. I'm seeing something here. Um, and, and, and so on. And even to the point of reproof. And uh, so we need we need the brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to meditate on Scripture and be open to what God wants to show us in the matter of reproof. Well, turning back to uh, Proverbs chapter fifteen, the second of the Proverbs is let the joy of Christ reign in your heart, and that's in verse thirteen. Now, verse thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen are linked. By the word heart. You see the word heart in every, all three of those verses. But it's described in a different way. There's the glad heart. There's the heart that seeks knowledge. And there's the cheerful heart. The, and the primary point that these three proverbs are making in talking about these different aspects of the heart, the primary point is that what you are on the inside determines what you are on the outside. It's not your circumstances, but it's your heart. And we'll see that as we go through. Verse 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. Now, with these verses, we need to remember what we've seen before about what our heart is. Obviously, it's not the physical organ. It's talking about the inner part of our life, our, our, our soul, our, our inner being. And the heart includes three elements. It includes our mind, so that has to do with our thoughts, our imaginations, 
our attitudes. The heart also is is our is our affections. That has to do with our emotions, our longings, our desires, and also our will, which is our choices and our decisions and our motivations. All of those are 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 what make up our heart according to a scripture. So a glad heart, what would a glad heart be? A glad heart means that our mind and affections and emotions and our will are all full of joy. Now that's not natural because sin has separated us from God. Sin has created a cloud. Sin has has affected us. We are as we as the the uh, point, seven points of of uh, Calvinism and and the doctrines of grace uh, talk about the that we are totally depraved and the um, meaning every part of us has been uh, affected by sin and because of this this is not natural that all of our mind and our affections and our will would be filled with joy but. A new nature, which comes with the new birth, changes things. First of all, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Wonderful verse for us as believers that the fruit of the Spirit, first in the list is love, second is joy. That is given to us as part of our new relationship in Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But to also turn to John chapter 15 and verse 11. John 15 and verse 11. John 15, uh, the wonderful chapter where Jesus talks about he is the vine and we are the branches. Just fabulous, fabulous uh, chapter in scripture. And, and in John 15 verse 11, Jesus said these things, these wonderful truths about the vine and the branch and our relationship with him. These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's supernatural. And that's part of, of what we have as a believer. Then turn over in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. Of our Lord. John 17, verse uh, 13. Jesus is, is praying to the Father. And in verse 13, he says, But now I am coming to you. That is, he, he's going to be dying on the cross and uh, he's going to uh, ascend to the Father after that. And he says, I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they, that is, believers, he's prayed for the believers, both the believers that were then uh, when he spoke that, the apostles and the others who would believe, but also all those who would believe through their name, which include, or through their witness, which includes us. And so his, his prayer request and, and saying to the Father that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's supernatural. That's part of what we have as a believer. So turning back to Proverbs fifteen thirteen, a glad heart. The believer has that glad heart. And uh, you know, you've heard often in 
preaching through uh, New Testament epistles about uh, the fact that uh, we have a position, our position in Christ, but then we don't always act in line with that position. So sanctification is happening in our life that we might be more like Christ. And, and that that's part of this as well. Uh, we have all of this source of joy. And uh, yet many times as a believer, we're not showing much joy. We need to grow in sanctification. And uh, that that uh, is what this is talking about. Well, he says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. Again, what you are on the inside comes out on the outside. The cheerful heart, the glad heart, is going to be reflected in a cheerful face. Now, that's not saying that we don't go through times of sorrow. And, and, and trial, and, uh, and it can be shown in our face. Um, through the years, I have had a lot of uh, people that I have known who have gone to be with the Lord, and, and uh, so many times, uh, it, it's a case where they, that they dearly love, and that dearly loves them. And um, I, I was thinking of, of some of those examples as I was thinking of this. And I thought of one very special lady to our family. We, Steve and Mark knew her as Grandma Dean, and her husband as Grandpa Dean. And uh, Grandma Dean exhibited the joy of the Lord. And uh, she and her husband were married. I, I think they were married at least 50 years. And then the day came that the Lord took Ralph home. And I remember the sorrow in Ida's face. And by the way, the he went to be with the Lord in an, in an afternoon. And um, Steve, your pastor, our pastor, was seven years old. And uh, he told Terry and me, or asked us, can I spend the night with Grandma Dean? She's going to be lonely tonight. That's his heart, you know. And uh, but uh, and, and he did. And, but, but you could see the sorrow. But the joy was not erased. And that joy began to see, be seen more and more. Yes, there was always that missing of her husband, Ralph. But still, that joy of the Lord came through. And I've seen that many times. I've seen sometimes also where it hasn't. And uh, that, that, uh, that's the whole issue of what's going on here. Of how can we be a person that would have that joy, even in the midst of sorrow, when we are really in sorrow. So... It's a, it's a great principle here that it's what's on the inside that comes out on, on the outside. So it's not what happens to us that determines our joy, but this is saying it's the condition of our heart. And you take a person like Ida Dean and, and others that you could probably name. You know, the heart was joyful. And although there was that deep sorrow, yet it still came through. Um, 
There are some biblical examples of that. For instance, uh, Joseph, last week, Wednesday night, uh, Dorian, uh, or, or, or what was it, the week before, whichever week it was that Dorian taught, um, he taught about Joseph. And remember, as he took us through those terrible things that Joseph happened, uh, happened to Joseph, and yet, it's not specifically mentioned, but you get the impression that there was something inside. There was an in, inner joy that uh, is going to be expressed more and more. Turn over to another Old Testament prophet. We saw Micah, but there's another one, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, just before Zephaniah. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. These also are, are well-known verses, and I would commend them to you if you're not familiar with them. They are verses to keep in mind. Habakkuk, the last three verses of his book, says, Though the fig tree should not blossom. Now, they were an agricultural society. They needed the fruits and vegetables. And if the fig tree doesn't blossom, it's not going to have fruit. And they need that fruit. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, they needed the grapes. Nor the produce of the olive oil fail. They used olives, olive oil for medicinal purposes and all kinds of things. And the fields yield no food. There's no grain. The flock, they needed flocks. The flock be cut off from the fold. And there be no herd in the stalls. They have all these uh, barns and stalls, but no cattle and no sheep and so on. That's a tragedy, humanly speaking. But Habakkuk had God's perspective. He had the glad heart. He says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Circumstances get rough, but he says, the Lord is there. The Lord is faithful, and I can rejoice in him that he is my shepherd. He is seeing me through this. He knows what he's doing. He is sovereign. He is almighty. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's, the, that's that, that glad heart. And then verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Uh, this expression deer refers not just to the most common kind of deer that we are used to, but more in particular, kind of like mountain, mountain goats. They have the ibex in Israel a particular uh, species that uh, they were very familiar with. Um, in Southern California, uh, we used to go when Steve and Mark were young, we would often go to a wonderful uh, place called the San Diego Wild Animal Park. And, and they had all kinds of areas where animals were in their natural habitat. And there was one section where they had mountain goats. And you would be on a tram that would take you around, and the tram would start and would would stop in front of this massive area with mountain goats. And at first, the, the conductor on on the tram would point out, uh, "Do you see many of them?" And you would say, "No." 
But then as you looked, you began, yeah, there's one up there, there's one up there. And they would just climb, it just seemed impossible. But God made them sure-footed with feet equipped to climb those high, rocky places. They're not on a trail, they're going up rocks. And Habakkuk had seen the ibex, especially around the Dead Sea area. And he said, God makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In other words, circumstances that are hard. And yet God is doing that. I will rejoice in God. He doesn't remove the hard times. He gives us the feet to go up the high places. Wonderful promise uh, from Habakkuk. Well, back to uh, our proverb in verse 13, the next line, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Uh, The sorrow of heart here is talking about an attitude of sadness that permeates the heart, the mind, the emotions, and the will. Just like the glad heart, gladness permeates the heart, the mind, the emotions, and the will. Here, this is talking about a different person, where sorrow, uh, a sadness permeates the heart, mind, emotions, and will. So this is the opposite of the glad heart. So a sorrow of heart, the sorrow by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. There is no cheerful face. But instead, what is inside is coming out. This sorrow of heart is coming out. Now, there is a remedy for this person, which would be a characteristic of the non-believer. There is a remedy, and that's found in Matthew 4. So let's turn to Matthew. We call these the Beatitudes. And the first two of the Beatitudes relate to this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed, and that word blessed, it means happy, but not just a superficial happiness. It means content, fulfilled, at peace. The point is, these things are not determined by circumstances. Uh, This is a happiness, contentment, fulfillment, peace in the heart. And so blessed, where does that come from? The poor in spirit. Now that word poor, the, the, the Greek word that's translated poor, doesn't refer to a person who has to work hard to make ends meet. That person is poor in a certain sense, but this is more than that. This is talking about a person who is in abject poverty. A person who is not going to be able to eat. They just don't have any money. They just don't have any any source to get money. But we're not talking physically here, physically poor. This is poor in spirit. This is the opposite of pride and self-sufficiency. The poor in spirit is a person that realizes, I'm spiritually bankrupt. You know, when I'm praying for specific non-believers for their salvation. As I pray for that, I pray that they would realize they have nothing in themselves. 
to offer God. They are spiritually bankrupt. There are some people on my prayer list who are not believers who I know are very religious. But they don't realize they are spiritually bankrupt. And I pray that their eyes would be open to that. And so the first of the Beatitudes is to these people. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. They uh, realize I have no salvation on my own. I've got to get it from God. I don't have any source for it in myself. And uh, how can you become poor in spirit? Well, read scripture. And as the Spirit of God reveals to you in Scripture God in all of His glory and how you are in all of your sin, it's like Peter. Remember Peter after uh, that experience where Jesus came walking on the water at night and then Peter goes out after him and uh, then he begins to look around and realize and he starts to sink and the Lord lifts him up and then he and then gets in the boat and the storm stops immediately. And Peter fell on his knees and cried out to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And the poor in spirit, God, when he comes in recognition of his bankruptcy and repentance of his sin, God will open his eyes to the truth of who God is. And that becomes what is going to change him, is the work of God in his life. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, these are the people who come into God's kingdom, who come into salvation, are those who start as poor in spirit. But then the next one, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. Now, what's the natural reaction of a person who is poor in spirit? That is to mourn over their sin. I am thinking of one particular person who's on my prayer list who's not a believer, who is religious but not poor in spirit. And, And I long for the day when he will come and realize and cry out to God, I am spiritually bankrupt. And that God would come to him, the one who then becomes mourning for his sin and transform him and give him joy. So blessed are those who mourn, that is, mourn over their sin. The world says, oh, sin's no big deal. But this person realizes it's a huge deal because God is holy. They shall be comforted. That reminds reminds me of Psalm 32, verse 1, which is one of the Psalms that David wrote out of his experience of confessing his sin. And sin had waited so down on him. We see especially in Psalm 51, but in Psalm 32, he breaks out, Blessed! Oh, the joy of the person whose sin is forgiven. He knew what it was to be comforted. Well, turning back uh, to our proverb, verse 
13, but by sorrow of heart, but, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. But, oh, there is a remedy for that. And that is to come in poverty of spirit and mourning. And then the rest of the, of, of the Beatitudes don't directly relate to this, but they build on what those first two are. But let's look at the third proverb for tonight. Search diligently for the knowledge of God. Look at verse 14. The heart of him, so here's another heart verse. The heart of him who has understanding, that is, this person has a God-given ability to discern. He can look at, at two paths to take or two, th- two ways to go in a decision and know which is right and which is wrong. It's a God-given discernment. This is a wise person throughout Proverbs. It's mentioned often in the book of Proverbs. The heart of him who has understanding, so this is a believer, seeks knowledge. Now, this is not just a regular search. Uh, you know, there are times where we're trying to look for something and, uh, and then we don't put all of our energy into it and so on. But there's other times where we do put all of our energy into it. In Luke 15, Jesus told about a woman who had ten coins and she needed those coins and she lost one of those coins. And it says how she went and tore her house, her house apart. And she lit a candle so that she could see to find that one coin. That's the kind of search that this Hebrew word here is talking about. That the heart of him who has understanding seeks with this kind of uh, earnestness. Uh, seeks knowledge. Now... In the context of Proverbs, this is not seeking for knowledge of science, of history and math and things like that. But this is a passion to know God and to know more of God. And so the knowledge to know God is implanted and the desire to know God is implanted in the heart of the believer at the moment of his salvation. And it results in a lifelong desire to know him. I put on your notes some examples. There's the author of Psalm 119. Uh, that's fairly easy to get to from Proverbs, Psalm 119, verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. He cries, oh God, I want to know. I want to know you better. Um, then in verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I wants to know more. Uh, then verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why would it be good that I might learn your statutes? He has a passion to learn more of God. And then verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation, day and night. That's that kind of passion for the knowledge of God. Then I put on your notes, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, in Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Remember, um, Jesus came to the house of Mary and Martha, her sister, and her brother Lazarus. And and, um, Mary, Martha was busy, busy, busy. And, And there's a place for that. But... Mary, 
She just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet and learn more. And Martha complained to Jesus. You know, Jesus, I'm doing all this to get the dinner ready and everything, and there she is just sitting at your feet. And Jesus said, you know, she's doing the good thing. Commended her. Have that heart attitude of wanting to know more. Then I put on your sheet the disciples who met Christ on the road to Emmaus. Remember, at first they didn't recognize him in his, in his glorified body, and then he began to open the scriptures to them, took them through all the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah and so much. And their hearts, it says, our hearts burned within us, and they wanted to know more. And then there's the Bereans in Acts 17.11, as Paul had brought the gospel to Berea. And these Bereans searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying is true. They wanted to know more. Just some, some of those examples. Well, back in our verse, <clears throat> he says, But the mouths of fools feed on folly. Now, the mouths of fools... Feed. That word feed in Hebrew is the idea of animals that ruminate uh, their food, such as cows and sheep. They they chew, and then it goes down into a stomach and comes back up, and they chew it over, and then it goes down, and it comes up, and they chew it over and over to get everything out of that. And uh, he says in this 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 parable. But the mouths of fools, instead of feeding on God's knowledge, like Mary did, and the others that we saw, instead they feed on folly. They chew over and over the silliness that they have fed their heart with and their mind with, instead of the word of God. You know, most entertainment shows on television, you know, fit in this category. And uh, there are people that they just chew on that over and over and over again. And the more you feed on folly, the more you numb your mind. And the fool is just getting his mind further and further away from the truth of God. Beware of what you feed your, your, your mind with. And your soul with. John Kitchen, in his excellent commentary on Proverbs, wrote, To have tasted God's wisdom is to desire it all the more. To have numbed one's mind on folly is to ruin its taste for anything higher and better. So true. Are you searching to know more of God and his ways? Well, let's look at one more proverb tonight. Verse 15, worship the Lord with rejoicing. Look at verse 15. All the days of afflicted, of the afflicted are evil. Now, afflicted, the word afflicted there, literally in Hebrew, that word is the poor. Now, it may not, may or may not be the poor in material things. It's just simply the word for, for poor. And, um, he says, that the um, the all the days of the afflicted are evil. That is, whatever the circumstances that make them afflicted. 
if if it's a matter of of they are are poor and that they don't have much money or a large house or whatever it is, or they're afflicted in the sense of uh, poor health or whatever it is, their verdict on that, oh, that's evil. That's that's evil that I don't have much money or I have this disease and so on. The problem, again, is with their heart. That is, their mind, their emotions, and their will. Not their trials. It's not the trial that's the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. The person's heart prevents him from finding joy in his hardship. And there are some examples in Scripture of that. Like Jacob in Genesis 42:36. Have you ever uh, noticed that verse? In, in that period of time when Joseph is down in Egypt and has risen to second in command of Egypt and Jacob's still back in the, in, in the land of Israel and he thinks that Joseph is dead and then the brothers go down and, and they have had to leave one of them uh, there in Egypt, kind of like a, a guarantee that they'll be back with some more money and stuff, and and then they come back, and now uh, this this guy that they don't know as their brother is saying that they have to bring Benjamin back. You remember all that? Well, in Genesis forty-two verse thirty-six, poor Jacob, he says, "Joseph is no more." In other words, Joseph is dead. Was Joseph dead? No. But he says, Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. Is Simeon dead? No, he's down in Egypt. Yes, but he's under the care of this brother. He doesn't know it, but he's going to be taken care of. And now you would take Benjamin, and then he says, all this has come against me. Scripture doesn't say it, but I would imagine he felt like saying, woe is me. This is awful. And the problem wasn't the circumstances, it was his heart. And then there's Naomi, uh, when she returned to Bethlehem, remember in the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi uh, and her two sons and her husband went to Moab because of the, the drought, and then her husband dies, her, her, her sons marry, and then the sons die, and she and one of the daughter-in-laws, Ruth, come back to, to Bethlehem. And you see Ruth, uh, excuse me, see Naomi there saying kind of the same thing like Job, or like, uh, like Jacob. Oh, woe is me. It wasn't caused, it wasn't the circumstances that were the problem. It was her heart that was the problem. That's the opposite of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Turn to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Again, verses we have heard and read, but we all need to be reminded of them very often. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is is to be in our heart 
and determining what our attitude is in our in our life. Well, continuing with this proverb in verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but there's the contrast coming. How different the experience of the poor person, the afflicted person with a cheerful heart and they keep focused on God. Uh, notice verse 15 does not contrast poor people and happy people. That's not the contrast. As much as it is poor people who are unhappy and poor people who are happy. There, that's where the contrast is. But he says, but the cheerful of heart. Look at what happens to them. The cheerful of heart has a continual feast. To the person with a cheerful heart, every day is good. And he's counting his blessings. Yesterday morning, I had some music on. And a song came on that uh, I have enjoyed through the years by... It's a Christian song, Christian singing group, Jeff and Sherry Easter. And um, in this particular um, setting, Jeff Easter was sharing it was his dad who wrote the song. And uh, his dad, when his parents got married, they had very little money. They lived in a two-room, practically a shack, behind a junkyard. And uh, his dad was so poor when he was young, going to school, uh, his parents could only afford one pair of shoes a year for him. And he's walking everywhere with those shoes, and they wore out, but he didn't get new shoes for a while. So, but anyway, then when he was, when they were young in their marriage, he came to salvation. And his son Jeff shares, you know, everything changed then in his attitude. They didn't leave that house right away, and they still had uh, much poverty, but attitude. And then, after his dad wrote, uh, uh, became a Christian, he wrote these words. As the world looks upon me as I struggle along, they say I have nothing, but they are so wrong. In my heart I'm rejoicing how I wish they could see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on me. And the chorus is, there is a roof up above me. I have a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Verse 2, now I know I'm not wealthy, and these clothes, they're not new. I don't have much money, but Lord, I have you. And to me, that's all that matters though the world cannot see. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And then the chorus again. I think that's a great example of what Solomon is saying in this verse. The cheerful of heart, even though they may be poor, they are the cheerful of heart. They have, it's amazing, they have a continual feast. Um... They enjoy life despite hard circumstances. That's what he's saying. Now, feasts were times of great celebration. But even in difficult times, the Christian has a peace and a joy 
that the world doesn't understand. Um, you know, we read those verses in, in uh, Habakkuk, and they apply here. There's Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer, remember? In the Philippian jail, they are, are put in prison for the night, and, and well, more than the night, but it's that first night, and their hands and feet are in the stocks. But they're singing praise to God, and God used that. And the jailer came to salvation, but terrible circumstances. But they were having the continual feast. And then um, I turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Think about these people referred to in Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. It is a fearful thing to fall into, or, or verse 32 rather. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those who are in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They are enjoying the continuous Feast of Proverbs 15. Wow, tremendous lesson in going through the circumstances of life, but yet our heart makes all the difference. We can be in terrible circumstances, but with the godly heart, the heart that fears the Lord, the heart that is trusting him, there is a joy that the world cannot take away. Well, we'll stop there. But just to kind of review what we should do with verse 12. Do you hate being told what you're, that you're wrong? Find a wise person to be accountable to. Seek counsel. Be attentive for them to them letting you know of things that you're not recognizing in your own life that you need to change. Be attentive to what God is telling you in his word. Then in verses 12 through 15, do you have a glad heart and a joyful face? Don't look to the circumstances for your joy. Instead, look to the Lord for your joy. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Father, how we do thank you for these Proverbs. And Father, we thank you for all that you have given us in Christ. We pray, Father, for anyone uh, here watching on, on, on line and so on who doesn't know you, who doesn't have that joy of sins forgiven. Father, we pray that they would come in poverty of spirit, come in repentance and mourning, and you have promised that you will forgive, and you will comfort, and you will give joy. Father, teach us these things even in the days to come. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.